Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Institute of Art and Ideas. Articles, videos, and podcasts. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times. The podcast which brings you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. Although most of us are critical of gender stereotypes, few deny the existence of two discrete biological sexes. This week on Philosophy for Our Times, our speakers debate the rise and fall of sex. Yet contemporary biology shows human sex can't be reduced to a simple story about X and Y chromosomes, and some neuroscience claims that there's no such thing as a gendered brain either. So could biological sex itself be an illusion? And can we overcome or refashion these categories to suit 21st century needs? Or is this a futile attempt to deny the reality of two biological sexes? To debate these ideas, we have sociologist and co-founder of the Influential Strong Programme and former director of the Centre for Genomics, Barry Barnes. He'll be joined by Daphne Joel, neuroscientist at Tel Aviv University, an author of Gender Mosaic, Beyond the Myth of Male and Female Brains, and finally, psychology lecturer at King's College London in the Social Genetic and Developmental Psychiatry Centre, Stuart Ritchie. For more on today's topic, please do head to our website for podcast playlists on sex and gender and our weekly recommended episodes at www.iitv. Make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on and do give us a rating and let us know what you think of today's episode. Back now to Robert Roland Smith, who hosts this week's episode. So without further ado, I'm going to turn to you, Barry. And I think the overarching question we're asking here at the beginning is, could biological sex itself be an illusion constructed from human categories? Now, way back in 1967, the sex of a newborn was fixed by visual inspection and a register of births certified its status or male, as male or female. That's all they were allowed to do. <clears throat> but cytogeneticists at this time had begun to use a quick and simple test to determine uh, the genetic sex. And they did thousands of applications of this uh, simple thing. Mostly were normal cases, but they, they identified quite a few anomalous ones by use of the genetic test. Uh, and that made the genetics of sex much more complicated than it had been. And researchers realized that conveying what they knew of sex to others had become at the same time much more difficult and much more important. Now, of course, it couldn't have been predicted then that in just a few decades, we would live in a world wherein sex is mostly referred to as gender and genetics is mostly molecular genetics. With regard to molecular methods, they've transformed the power and scope of the whole field of genetics so that it today now involves not just DNA even, but the system of protein production in the, in the cell, epigenetics, 
the production and delivery and combination of gametes and an awful lot more. Conveying an understanding of genetic sex is more difficult than it's ever been today. I've watched accounts of genetic sex become ever more detailed and complex over a long period, and I've seen nothing to suggest that sex, that's biological sex, is an illusion. As to entries on birth certificates, however, they are neither empirical descriptions, like an empirical science would make, nor are they illusions, which seems to be the only alternative that comes to the mind of many people. They're statuses. They're attributions of status that indicate to other members of society how they ought to treat the person designated and assigned. And if other statuses join or replace those in current use, nothing changes. They're still all statuses. They don't describe empirical states, even if they're based on empirical states. <clears throat> now, it may be that the registrars of tomorrow in a more tolerant society are going to do an awful lot better assigning sex statuses than those who long ago assigned a sex to an intersexed newborn and kept that assignation confidential. But even they did no more long ago than attach a status to a child and act with her mind to how she was treated in the future. Thank you. We Mary. need to understand statuses. Thank you very much. So it's a story of increasing complexity in our understanding in general, but this concept of the status is what's key to what you're arguing. Thank you very much. Daphne, let me come to you. Okay. So there's a short answer to the question. The short answer is, uh, I don't think that biological sex is an illusion, but I do think that our binary conceptualization of sex is an illusion. And the long answer is that this is a tricky question because we use biological sex for at least two different meanings. We use biological sex to describe the divisions of humans into sex categories, male and female, according to the form of their genitalia. So by imposing a binary division on, on the, the form of the genitalia, we ignore or we mistreat individuals that do not fit into one of these categories. So whereas most humans, or the, most of humans' genitalia uh, do fit into the categories because they have only male typical organs or only female typical organs, some humans don't. Now the other meaning that we use biological sex is to relate to all the genes and hormones that are involved in the formation of the genitalia. And there, of course, exist these genes and hormones. But the binary framework misleads us to believe that these genes and hormones are arranged into distinct sets, one appearing in males and the other appearing with females. And this is simply not true. So except from a few genes on the Y chromosomes, all humans share all the genes and the hormones that are involved in the formation of the genitalia. And they, these genes and hormones, especially the hormones, are highly dynamic, highly reactive, highly overlapping between humans, and they clearly do not come into distinct form uh, like the genitalia do. Now, these genes and hormones affect not just the genitalia, but also other systems, and one of them is the brain. And again, the, the uh, binary framework misleads us to believe that sex effects on the, on the brain add up consistently within individuals as sex effects on the genitalia often does. 
to create distinct male brain and female brains. And this, again, is not true, because sex effects on the brain usually mix up. So each one of us has features in the brain that are more common in males and others that are more common in females. So although sex affects the brain, and although there are group-level differences between the brains of men and women, they do not add up to create male brains and female brains, but rather mosaic brains. Thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, going back to your early phrase there, something maybe the uh, sex isn't an illusion, but the binary construct is perhaps an illusion. OK, thank you. Stuart. Thanks. Well, let me just uh, uh, push back slightly on the binary thing. The, the, obviously, this is a topic which everyone gets very upset about, and, and it totally is understandable, because as uh, uh, both Barry and Daphne have said, we talk about sex in terms of this thing which we study in the lab, and also in terms of this thing which is super important in society, and it's how we label people, and it's, it's often how we treat people as well. So it's completely understandable that there's a lot of uh, uh, bad feeling around this topic. Um, people on both sides, you know, people who uh, argue against the importance of sex differences get accused of being sex difference deniers. And, uh, or sex deniers or gender or whatever they want to call them. And people on the other side get accused of being sexists and neurosexists and, and so on. So there's, there's all sort of uh, uh, epithets going back and forth on this. Um, but the question is, what does the actual data say? So I've um, uh, been interested for a little while in, in uh, differences in the brain. Um, and we took a, one of the largest samples of people that's ever been uh, uh, gathered all together, the UK Biobank sample uh, last year. And we published a paper that showed that there were indeed very large differences in things like uh, uh, brain volume, brain surface area, brain uh, the, the cortical thickness, so the thickness of the outside of the brain, uh, between people who identified as male and people who identified as female. They just People who just checked it on the form. We're not talking about a genetic test here. We're just what people say about themselves. Um, and there were large differences. Females had thicker cortices, which is associated with, uh, uh, for instance, things like having a higher intelligence. Males had uh, uh, larger volumes, which is also associated with having a higher intelligence, which so it's kind of... There's, there's one for both uh, sides there. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, but, but perhaps more interesting than my study, which is actually quite a boring uh, paper, more interesting is, is uh, when people look across all the differences. They add up all the differences and see how good you, you are. If you just have someone's brain, how accurately can you build a model that would predict whether they had said they were male or said they were female on the form? Right? So it's a bit like um, going into someone's Netflix history and predicting whether the next film they're going to watch is you know, something by Alfred Hitchcock or like Transformers or something like that. Like you, like you're, you're seeing how accurate you can be, taking into account all the data you have of all the films they've watched in the past uh, however many years. So with the brain, we're taking into account all the different volume differences in all the different regions of the brain, the, the surface area differences, the cortical thickness differences, and so on. And it turns out that you can do that somewhere between 80 and 93% of the time. You can accurately say whether someone has, has identified as male or female just purely from looking at their brain. And to me, this doesn't fit with the conception of a mosaic brain or anything. It fits with the conception that generally uh, people, uh, you know, it's not 100% of the time that we can, we can detect this, but generally people fit into these two broad uh, categories with their, with, with their brain. Or you can make a very good prediction anyway uh, from that. Now, you can't predict what someone's brain will look like just from knowing their sex, but you can predict someone's sex from knowing what their brain looks like, if you, if you're, if you see what I mean there. So, um, but of course, the, and the, the most important thing uh, to say, just to finish, is this doesn't tell us anything about how people should be treated, right? People who make the link between uh, this is what someone's brain looks like and therefore this is how they should be treated are you know, either sexist or racist or, or bigoted in, in, in some way because everyone should be treated equally no matter what their brain looks like. But I would also worry that people who are arguing 
that we, we should disregard sex differences in the brain, that they're not that important, that they're, they're small and so on, are making a mistake. They're essentially making a bet that we won't find larger differences in the future. Uh, because of course, on their logic, that would mean we'd have to treat people differently. And what I'm saying is that logic is flawed. People should be treated equally, um, morally, legally, uh, 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 ethically, and so on, no matter what their brains look like. In fact, no matter what any of their characteristics are, because everyone should be equal uh, uh, before the law and, and, and morally. So in some sense, this is really interesting because it is biologically pretty cool to look at differences between people. And there are differences in like the prevalence of mental health problems and the prevalence of different psychological traits between the sexes. So it's interesting to try and understand those. But on the other hand, it doesn't matter for how people should be treated, because we should treat people equally no matter what. OK, thank you. So we've got something about sex as status, something about sex and the mosaic, and this idea that actually maybe we can work at least on a practical level with the idea of a difference or a sexual difference, even though that shouldn't lead us to discriminate in any way between people. So here's some opening positions there. What we're going to do now is sort of drill down into a little bit more detail. And the first of these three questions I mentioned uh, before is really, and I suppose maybe it picks up on what Stuart's saying, is even if we are increasingly complex and sophisticated in our understanding of sex and gender, isn't it kind of unavoidable that we just fall back to talking about biological difference? You know, it's, it's still a re certainly in the wider culture, insofar as this is representative, it seems uh, not immediately particularly contentious. So I'll, I think I'll ask you this first, Daphne, if that's OK. So what about that idea? For all the sophistication in your argument, are we not always going to come back to male and female? Well, if you were asking, I don't know, 200 years ago, probably people would say that we will always go back to color of skin, right? And even 50 years ago, to whether people are right-handed or left-handed. Because 50 years ago, left-handed kids, were, they used to tie their left hand, so they become right-handed. Because some people are nodding here. Because left-handed people were considered less intelligent, less, less capable. They were uh, discriminated against in hiring for the job. Etc. Etc. And by the way, there were uh, studies of the brain showing that they have some deficits in the brain and explaining why they are deficient. And I don't know how this happened, but this is completely gone. And not because there are no longer left-handed people. There are left-handed people, but just so. But the social meaning of this physiological characteristic has just vanished as we are trying, all of us, to make the color of the skin, the social meaning of the skin color, to disappear. We're not doing such a great job, but definitely better than with sex. And this is the future I see. So I see a future in which there are people with male genitalia, female genitalia, and intersex genitalia. But this, this has no meaning, no social meaning. Of course, it is important in some situations. Like being left-handed is important in some situations. When you want to buy scissors, you need to buy scissors for left-handed. Uh, but in other situations, you would never ask your kid whether he played with left-handed people, a kid or kids or right-handed kids. You wouldn't care if your bus driver is left-handed or right-handed, and you wouldn't care if you're going to a date with a left-handed or right-handed person. So why are we obsessed about the form of the genitalia? If you don't, if you don't want to go to bed with someone, why do you care if your kid is playing with? A, person, a kid with a male genitalia or female genitalia, whether your kid's teacher is, has male or female genitalia, whether the person that wrote the book that you read has male or female genitalia. So the future I see, we are humans. We are different in many different characteristics, height, color, and the form of our genitalia. This is sometimes important, and at other occasions, it's not. 
but it should has no social meaning to who we are, what we should do or should not do, how we should dress, behave, etc. So this is the future I see. And, and again, take the case of handedness, because the case of color, unfortunately, is not a good example. Take the case of handedness as a very strong stereotype that simply vanished. OK, very good. So it's part of a sort of generally progressive argument as we come to terms with greater ambiguity and overcome some of these binaries. But what about you, Barry? I mean, you talked about status which again sounds quite you know sophisticated and progressive and all the rest of it but come on i mean we're all men or women aren't we well we've already got um three parent families as the product of um, biotechnological advance and if you fancied any more uh, categories the biotechnologists could knock them up for you i'm sure uh, and of course if we wanted we could always use the biotech processes to mess up the distinctions between one sex and another at the level of DNA and make them more difficult to differ from. Uh, but I don't think that's at all relevant to the concerns that you're getting at here. And to be relevant to those, we've got to look at what I talked of before as statuses. Statuses are assigned with a mind to how people are going to be treated. Now, what we want, perhaps, certainly I think it's not a bad idea being a left-handed sickie, you know that um, statuses between people should be altered. Um, but <clears throat> that's what the binary is. It's a sex-based status, right, that hasn't always been well applied in the past. And it's be very nice thought we could apply it better. And when we modify those statuses, you talked about getting people more equal. That binary is the very place to look at and think about what's best done there to create the sort of vision of the future that will be better than it was 40 years ago when the registrars did this awful um, stuff. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so from what you say, Barry, I don't think there's much you disagree with in what Daphne said. Is that right? Well, I, I do think um, people working in neuroscience would greatly benefit from uh, reading work on statuses uh, because most scientists don't understand that statuses are self-referential and that enough people apply them to somebody and they are, the, the social reality changes. The institutional structure is made of statuses and the, the binary male, female, is built into the institutional structure, which is why it's such a devil of a job to shift it, because it's built in there. You can't change things instantly when they're stuck like that. OK, so I failed to get you to argue with Daphne there. What about <laughs> you, Stuart? <laughs> well, uh, uh, well, I guess one thing I would say is, um, to, so I think we totally agree on that we should, we should try to reduce the Salience and the and the and the general societal use or whatever you want to call it of, of, of sex to its to its minimal extent. Completely agree with that. However, there are some problems with trying to, to with ignoring sex. So, for instance, uh, in neuroscience for for, for many decades, uh, research on animals, for instance, so mice and rats running around mazes and so on, um, was tended tended to be because it was easier just to just to to get one uh, uh, sex because you have issues with. Keeping the mice apart if they're if they're if you have male and female mice and all these other things, um, it was actually just cheaper and easier just for people to study male mice uh, uh, for ages. So you actually had decades and decades 
of uh, neuroscientists just completely forgetting that there's this other 50% out there of, uh, of, of female mice. And there's actually been a large uh, movement in neuroscience recently. You can find lots of different papers from people saying, hey, you know what? There are actually two sexes here. And a lot of the research that you're doing is relevant to males, maybe. But it's not relevant at all to, to females, and 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 you know the whole point of all this mice and rat research is that it will eventually translate to helping humans, right? It will eventually translate to helping humans with psychiatric problems, for instance. Um, and we know that psychiatric problems are uh, are differentially distributed between the sexes. Uh, uh, males have a higher risk of uh, schizophrenia, for instance. Uh, females have a higher risk of depression and anxiety. Um, uh, so. All this research being done only on, 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 on males, I mean, the, the worry is that if we just forget about sex, then we get into situations like that where uh, there are real differences and that really matter. And it matter in, a, in, a, in an equity equality sense, right? There are people in, uh, there are humans in the world right now who are at a higher risk because of some characteristic, uh, maybe something biological like their sex or maybe it's due to social reasons. But for, for whatever reason, they're at higher risk of a mental disorder. Uh, and we're worrying, uh, and, we're, and we're forgetting about that because uh, we're, we're, we're saying, oh, don't worry too much about sex. So I worry that we could go too far in the opposite direction by forgetting about these really important uh, 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 differences. Can I comment about this? Come on quickly, and then we'll move on to the next. Okay. So yeah. just say it's, it's hard to get, because the binary framework is so strong, it's really hard to understand or to keep in mind that sex affects our physiology, and I said it in the beginning, but it doesn't add up to two types or two categories. So of course you need to study males and females because you need the variability of the entire population. It's as if you were using only uh, people up to age 40. So you are missing part of the uh, variability. But again, understanding that sex affects the brain, for example, or physiology, doesn't mean that we come in two types. There is not brain, male brain and female brain, and there is no male physiology and female physiology. So we should try to hold these two um, pictures together, that each is a mosaic, but there is more green on one side and more yellow on the other side. But each one is a mosaic of two colors. And this is why you need to study the whole variability without assuming the two types. Do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers? If the answer to that question is yes, subscribe to IAI.tv for unlimited access to thousands of debates, talks, articles, academy courses and live events. Are you bored of the surface-level news, politics, sports and entertainment coverage on your newsfeed? Go deeper, get the philosophy behind the news and get the latest big ideas from the world's leading thinkers on subjects at the core of the human condition, life, the universe and everything in between. It's free for the first month and there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level. Okay, I'm going to move us on actually because we only have limited time. The question before us is, is put rather in rather kind of neutral and uh, detached terms. Can we separate our politics from the science? But I'm going to try and convert that into a slightly more rabble-rousing or pop psychology version, which is, um, isn't it just an attempt, particularly by you guys, maybe to a point you two, just to be sort of relevant and socially relevant by all this argument about... Uh, you know, the, the losing the distinction, the biological difference between men and women, isn't it just a sort of PC version of what sex is? And actually, it's a denial of some, some essentials, which Stuart is still talking about. You're trying to be cool, you know, you're mustering scientific facts in order to justify it. Well, <laughs> take a look at it. Um, 
it's devilishly difficult to separate the sciences from politics, not least their bureaucratic politics, which can be overwhelming in time at times. It can be even harder than making a male-female binary to make the distinction between a science and the politics of the science. Um, <clears throat> but what's actually implied by this question, I think, is, uh, is science getting screwed up by our politics? That's what's underneath it all. Is it getting um, biased or screwed up in countless other ways by the polit political dimension that's in there? And uh, the answer is that it, traditionally science was designed to remove that problem by making a community of people who agreed only to talk about the empirical realm and not to talk about political stuff. So the idea was the collective would deal with that issue and kick out the second-rate science that was being screwed up by politics. But the trouble with that is that collectives can have their own politics. Um, look at the history of uh, London University, where um, there was a chair in a department of eugenics. And there was a collective there studying eugenics. Now, I don't mean they were all a pack of Nazis. Eugenics is a very variable uh, term with very variable meanings. But you can see there that that eugenics focus in the science collective, you can see that the politics and the science are very much intertwined there. Yeah. So it's not easy at all. To, no. Uh, and I'm going to ask you a slightly mischievous Question, Stuart. Am I wrong to detect in what you say a little bit of a political or ideological agenda? I hope not. Uh, I really think that this is a. I really think this is a, a really serious problem. So, I'm one of my major focuses of research recently has been this whole idea in psychology that we've had this problem of what's called the replication crisis, where all these psychology findings, all these really nice things that we think are, are, are true in psychology turn out to you can't replicate them if you try and look at them in independent labs. And one of the reasons this is the case is because, uh, uh, well, the biases on the part of, of researchers is, is, is one big part of it. Not just political biases, but biases towards finding cool and exciting results and, uh, and, 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 and analyzing their data in certain ways and so on. So, so uh, this is a big problem. I worry a little bit uh, that actually things are kind of going in the opposite. Uh, and so, and so, well, we've, we've, we've tried to... Um, We've tried to make people more aware of these biases in, in psychology. But I worry in the idea of, of sex differences that this is being kind of, this, this uh, worry about biases is, is being sort of, uh, well, it's only, it's only on one side. So for instance, we've had calls for um, uh, uh, people to do feminist biology and feminist neuroscience and so on. Now, this, uh, I, I don't have anything against uh, feminism as a political movement, uh, although, I, you know, I, I'm sure you would you would say it's, it means lots of different things to different people. So, but generally, I don't have anything against that at all, and I would consider myself to be um, a, a, a feminist in many in, in, in many definitions of that. However, uh, once you've opened the door to feminist neuroscience, what's to stop other people saying, "Well, I'm going to do uh, socialist neuroscience, or I'm going to do conservative neuroscience, or I'm going to do eugenics neuroscience, or whatever it, wherever it happens to be"? I really worry that uh, the sex difference thing, because it's got this political slant, that sort of in response to that, people are saying well, we're going to take the absolute opposite political slant to what all those old sexists in the past have said. We're going to, we're going to set up our own uh, uh, feminist neuroscience. And I worry that that will result in people, um, instead of 
emphasizing the differences too much and making too big a deal of the differences uh, would be, it might result in people downplaying them uh, to, to, to a realistic extent. So hopefully my position is a kind of moderate one that's not uh, 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 you know, on any particular political uh, yeah. side, and I'm really trying to be somewhere in the, in the center here. Okay, and Daphne, I want to ask you the same question again, slightly provocatively, if that's okay, which is, you know, okay, you present your argument in a kind of scientific kind of way, but actually isn't your agenda here a political one? So I want to continue with what Barry said about the, the, that someone doesn't uh, declare itself to be political doesn't mean he's not political. And to take the history of the, of the science of brain and sex, it's so political, although they didn't call themselves chauvinist neuroscientists, but obviously they were. Um, and maybe if they did, we, we knew that. So for, just to give a short example, so when they discovered in the 17th century that the skulls of men are on average larger than the skull of women, they said, okay, now we understand why women are inferior. And this replaced uh, you know, the religious uh, explanation of why women are inferior. But then they discovered or realized that whales also have greater uh, skulls than humans have. So they didn't want to, to explain that whales are more you know, superior to men. They just wanted to explain that men are superior to women. So they had a problem which they easily uh, solved by dividing the size of the skull by the size of the body. So if you look at this, ra this ratio, humans have larger brain or skull to body size uh, ratios than whales. Okay, so we are fine. So again, we are the superior. But that's, uh, definitely, that's <laughs> wait, looking, wait. That's and looking then, back. And then it? they realized that women have larger ratios than men. Okay, and we have a problem again. <laughs> And then they, okay, they were looking for the right measure. So how best to correct for brain size or brain skull or uh, as a relative to body size to get that humans are superior to all other animals and men are superior to women. So maybe this is, you know, just neutral science. I don't think so. So for me to be a feminist means that I'm aware of the biases. So I can see that the gender binary is affecting the way I think. And this is the only way to start to think outside of the box. And this is what I said in the beginning. It's really because the gender binary is so strong, it's really hard to think outside of it. It's almost unthinkable. So to think about sex as a system, biological system within each of us that affects our body and our brain, etc., but is not sorted out into two types. It's almost unthinkable. And we need to move beyond this binary thought in order to advance science, to advance medicine, to advance the health of all of us. So I think to be open and to be critical about the conceptualization we have, which are social, will help us do better science. Okay, thank you. But uh, where are we with that now, Stuart? Men and women, what are the kind of social implications of what you're saying? Because I think you are making a case that actually functionally in all sorts of ways, and in science and other ways, it is valid to hang on to the distinction. So how can we hang on to that distinction without some of the prejudices or biases are returning? Well, this is, I think it's, it's been a, it's been a, a feature of, of society over the past however many decades. It's been that we've, that we've been able to look at differences and, and realize that they're not, that they're not uh, uh, weighted morally in some, in some sense. So uh, people even talk about, uh, you know, think about the way people used to talk about disability in the past, it's constantly a negative thing, but now, uh, we talk about disability in much more positive ways and, 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 and uh, talk about it even in terms of difference now and so on. And I think something similar could, could happen to, to with, with, uh, with, with sex, right? There are large differences in the brain. There's just really no way of, 
getting around that, uh, especially when you look across all the variables. And so this is something which is going to keep coming up in biology. If people are honest and look at the data, they will find large differences. Now, the question what that means for people's actual behavior, like how they, how they, how they act in the world, is, is really unknown at this point. Like we haven't got a, we haven't got a point to, to the point where we've mapped psychological differences to differences in the brain. And even if we did, we wouldn't know whether those psychological differences and those brain differences were caused by genetics or some kind of hormone thing, or if they were caused by society, which of course is sexist in many ways and, and, and so on. So we have, we're just totally nowhere near that understanding. And I think anyone who argues that we are, you know, who argues strongly that these brain differences are due to society or that they're strongly due to biology in some sense, they're having you on. They don't really know that. There's a political, there's a political uh, angle there. Um, and so I worry a little bit that we're, to answer that question really, we, we have to go beyond the science. Because at this point, the science is saying, look, we have these large differences in the brain. There are some traits that are, that are, that are different between males and females. Um, uh, the, the whole idea of um, interest in people versus things, for instance, is something which comes up a lot. So uh, uh, if, if you ask males and females to fill in a form of like, what sort of things you're interested in, males will tend to take the, the things more and females will tend to take the people more. Now that's an overlapping distribution. Obviously, there are many males who are more interested in people than, 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 uh, than, than females are, and there are many females that are interested in, you know, th these, these like curves overlap with each other, but still there is an average difference there. Okay. And so we just haven't mapped that yet to the okay. causes. What's your take on this, Barry? My take on this is that I'm somewhat critical of both my colleagues for all their sensitivity to others in this debate uh, because of their methods. Their area is so speculative. Have we not had enough speculation already, given the methods that they're using, uh, that we're going on to talk about the effects on our social life? And what are they doing? Um, they're, they're studying uh, opinions of subjects, or they're studying rat brains, because, of course, you can't cut root humans up, so you cut the rats up instead. You know, so, um, and these technologies aren't getting at it. They're not getting where they need to be. If we're going to be interested in our social life, we've got to study our social life. Okay. There's only one technology I know that, know that does that, and that's the scanner. And if you use MMR scanners and keep going for another 10 years, perhaps we can then start thinking what happens to our social life in terms of different brains. But we're not there yet. And if they do start using scanners, I would recommend that they put a scanner on everybody's head in the experiment, not just the person experimented on, but the person doing the experiment, <laughs> or else <coughs> they're going to be attributing things to the wrong brain. OK. Thank you. Thank you, Barry. That's a lot of... That's a lot of MRIs to line up there. Um, what about the provocation there, uh, Daphne, that you know, the work is essentially speculative and you're not getting at this, this social aspect? I was hoping that you were going to say that if we want to study the social structure, we should study sociology, with which I would agree. I don't think that scanner will help us in understanding social structure. As a neuroscientist, I say, I say this. If you want to understand social st uh, structure, study sociology. But anyway, what I want to say, I want, I, I want to go with the example of the things and people. Uh, example, because it's true there is a, a difference between men and women on average, 
men uh, preferring things and women preferring people, but these measures are not correlated. So you can be high on both or low on both or high on one and, and uh, low on the other. And this exactly demonstrates the mosaic. Even in two features, people are mosaic. People are not either things or people. People can be high in both, low in both, very you know, boring people, but they can be low in both, <laughs> or high on only one of them. And this goes on, just a minute, to the question. Even, even posing the question the way it is, so are men and women the same? Are men and women different? That's the problem with the, in the question, and the binary frames this question. We are all different. It's not that all men and women are the same, and it's not that men and women are different. Each one of us is different, is a unique mosaic. And the fact that there are average group level differences should not interest each one of us about what we want to do. It doesn't matter what the average does. Okay, thank you. So we've broken beyond the binary. We have male people, female people, and boring people, as the story of categories. But for now, can we thank all three of them, please? Barry, Thanks for listening to this episode of Philosophy for Our Times. The podcast was brought to you by the Institute of Arts Ideas. It was hosted by me, Anna Carey, and our guests this week were Barry Barnes, Daphne Joel, and Stuart Ritchie. For more on today's topic, why not listen to our episode Beyond Men and Women with activist Finn McKay, Labour politician Angela Eagle, and post-humanist philosopher Patricia McCormack, or our talk Science, Sex and Stereotypes with Helena Cronin, which asks whether men and women evolve differently. As ever, please do make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. We love bringing these podcasts for free and to be able to continue to do that, we need as much support as possible. And make sure you tell anyone you know that might be interested. Thanks again, and please do tune in next week for more debates and talks from the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.